What does it mean to practice these principles in all our affairs? How can we use the tools of recovery in other parts of our life? Welcome to episode 201 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Amber, Lucy, and Marianne. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Amber, Lucy, and Marianne, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your co-host today. Joining me is Eric, who actually wrote most of the topic we're going to be talking about. Welcome, Eric. Good morning, Spencer. We want to start with a reading. This is from the Al-Anon Daily Reader titled Hope for Today. And the reading is from September 21st. Sometimes, as I struggle with the effects of having grown up with the disease of alcoholism, the path seems too difficult to travel. I forget that there are ups and downs to any journey, and I feel overcome with disappointment with my seemingly slow progress. Then my higher power reminds me of a history lesson I once learned, and I regain hope. An expedition of the Grand Canyon traveled along the Colorado River. Halfway through the canyon, the explorers encountered dangerous rapids. Some of the explorers were killed as the thrashing waters hurled them about. The others managed to get ashore where they gathered their wits to assess the situation. Although the river ahead looked choppy and menacing, some of the crew decided to forge ahead. They felt they had traveled too far to turn back. The others decided to return home on foot. The explorers who went ahead faced dangerous waters for a short period, but the remainder of their journey was safe, calm, and beautiful. Those who turned back actually faced greater dangers, and they did not survive. This story reminds me how valuable it is to persistently move forward in the program. When the road ahead looks threatening and I want to turn back to my old attitudes and behaviors, I remember that I'm not alone on my path. I have the wisdom of a power greater than myself, the tools of the program, and the experience, strength, and hope of my fellow travelers in Al-Anon to support me. And the thought for today on this reading says, During bleak periods of my recovery, my higher power reminds me that the best way out is through. Eric, you want to say a little bit about why you chose this reading? You know, I was in a Thursday at my home group meeting. I was just paging through that book, which is the only book I think, well, not the only, but of the three daily readers is the book I don't possess. I was just skimming through it, and I came across that, and it just hit me between the eyes. Um, It turns out that on that exact day, my daughter was hiking in the Grand Canyon. My 19-year-old had finished 60 days at Outward Bound in Utah, very, very challenging uh, 60 days with four or five different segments of of her trip, including hiking, rock climbing, canyoneering, whitewater rafting. She got through it, not only got through it, but just completely engaged and absorbed it spiritually to the point where I was stunned by some of the things she wrote to me in a letter. Not only that, she, when she finished a week ago Sunday, I was expecting her to jump on a plane and fly home. And she asked me in a phone call uh, two things she said. 
This was Sunday the day after she'd returned, like four in the morning. Their last challenge went from midnight to four with a run in the pitch black with a headlamp. I was bursting to ask, you know, what, tell me about it. Tell me all about it, you know. <laughs> and I asked her, what was your favorite part? And there was a long pause. And she said, all of it. Mm. All of it. I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for a better summary, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I didn't really need nor want, nor was she able right then to tell me any particular piece of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, all of it. How about that for a lead-in for this topic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, all of it, everything, good, bad, and ugly. And so... What's your yeah. favorite part of well, Al-Anon, huh? <laughs> All of it. Yeah. All of it. All, all, all. So... She then said, is it okay with you if I don't come home today with the other two girls, you know, who are also 19, 20-year-olds? We want to take an extra week and go hike and see the Southwest and uh, and go to the Grand Canyon. It's like, wow. So when I heard that, I actually found that share and read it. I was stunned, you know. It was speaking to me as if it was written for me about me in life. And my daughter at that very moment was in the Grand Canyon hiking, so... Incredible. Incredible. I think you sent me a photo of of her and her two friends standing on the rim of the canyon. Yes, I did. The topic for this episode in All Our Affairs comes from Step 12, which states, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So then the question becomes, how do we do that, I think, right? Exactly. That's the point. How do we take this stuff from the rooms and carry it around and use it? Uh, I have a, I have a reading here if you'd like uh, sure. me to kind of segue in with that. Well, there's actually a book, not surprisingly, called In All Our Affairs. And the subtitle text is Making Crisis Work for You. I think, you know, most of us have lived through a crisis after crisis uh, before coming into program and probably still do. And so this is a reading from that book. I don't have the page that this was taken from. It was sent to me by someone else. The title of it is Practice These Principles in All Our Affairs. And it says, Alanon doesn't do much good if I pick and choose where I'm going to put it into practice. The program works best when I embrace it wholeheartedly. Give up my excuses, rationalizations, justifications, and work to make the principles a part of my daily, hourly life. Am I kind enough? Am I honest enough? Forthright, direct, dependable, reliable. When I'm making assumptions and judgments about other another person's thinking, feelings, or motives, what is my motivation? Not kindness, I know that. Irritation and frustration can cause me to shift my thinking from an Al-Anon viewpoint to a selfish tunnel vision. When I'm seized with an urge to be rude or dismissive, do I have sufficient self-control to to recognize that urge for what it is and step back long enough to understand that if I'm going to regret it, I do myself a favor if I choose another way? There's a lot in there. There is a lot in there. I like the questions, and I know that you had spent some time a couple weeks ago, I think, thinking about motives, and this question right in the middle of the reading, you know, when I'm making assumptions or judgments, what is my motivation? Right. I think that one is is a key question for me to help me practice the principles, because it's one of those pause questions, 
when I ask that question, I almost have to pause. I almost have to pause and I have to look inward and say, why, why am I doing this or why am I wanting to do this or why am I feeling, thinking this way? That's when I start to use the tools. That's when I start to practice the principles is when I can take that pause and, and look. And I thought that one way to approach this question might be to look at examples, look at a few examples of the ways that we have maybe recently used some of the principles of the program. I'm going to put you on the spot and let you go first. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, this uh, entire topic has you know seemed huge for me kind of my opus or Magna Carta of seven years of recovery. I led a, for a month at a Saturday morning meeting. And surprisingly, as I often do, I choose the uh, topic that we're going to use in a show, in an episode. And so I started by saying, you know, actually, <laughs> I did it the entire month. So for the four weeks I had, uh, my shares started first Saturday of April with expectations. It then went to resentments. It then went to motives, uh, all of which we have done shows on, and communication. I said, this is the completion of a four-part series, <laughs> and this series is all of it. How do we use it in our daily lives, and how do we take these things we talk about here and try to learn them from the meeting and actually use them and apply them to life every day in every way possible? This is from my share, not just with our alcoholic or addict addicts, but with the line at the grocery store or the dreaded line at the DMV, the person who insults or acts unkindly towards us, cuts us off in traffic, acts rudely or with hostility or anger, or takes advantage of us. So, you know, again, a lot in there, a lot in this whole subject. You know, I, my head was spinning. I had so much to think, I woke up with an emotional hangover. That's a joke. <laughs> okay, you got it. I had so much to think. I got you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking all week. I woke up today yeah. with emotional hangover. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did. I woke up with a headache because this thing has been kind of swirling around for my, uh, a week with me. I'll give you some examples. And, and again, the, ex the examples are the line at the grocery store. You know, early on, I, I pretty much had a sponsor from day one. I think I've mentioned this before. I viewed it as he took pity on me. Uh, he gave me his business card at one of my first meetings, which, the first half a dozen or more, I cried myself through. He, he suggested something to me one day because I was just trying to work harder, 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 thinking I could solve the problem if I worked it to death, you know, just uh, squeezed it so hard and worried so much uh, that the problems would uh, go away if I concerned and consumed myself with them so much. Uh, well, that didn't work at all. But he said, uh, try slowing down. You know, you, you just you just want to go so fast and get it done so quickly. You know, I read the books cover to cover, <laughs> the daily readers, you know, thinking by, by certainly by uh, December 30th, they're going to tell me how to stop her from drinking. You know, if I read the whole book, the last page is going to give me the solution. I didn't even notice there were dates on top. But he said, why don't you stand in the longest line at the supermarket? Uh, Why well, you're kidding, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I want you to stand in the longest line at the grocery store. Whew. Wow, that was hard. But I did it. And you know what? I still do it. I still do it. I still do it to check my temperature. Uh, am I consumed with having to get someplace that I really don't have to be faster than I really have to get there? I find this all day long. And the other example I use is when I'm driving. 
A great place to use our tools to practice these principles in all our affairs is on the roads. You see people that, you know, have road rage, and we hear about it all the time, and it's so easy to drop our toolkit and react to somebody that cuts us off, flips us a bird. We didn't go fast enough from, you know, the start of a green light and we get honked at. It's amazing how many people react to that really, really violently. I have, you know, on my car, it's a, it's a way to keep track of your mileage and, you know, your average miles per gallon. Mm-hmm. And I look at it all day long. Not always, but, you know, I check on it now and then. And if I'm getting 18 miles or 16 miles per gallon, I'm not having a mindful day. <laughs> mm. Okay. I am stepping on a gas, jamming on a brake, in a hurry to get somewhere that I don't have to really be as fast as I think I need to be there. Mm. But, you know, the beauty, and I don't call it MPG. Years ago, I renamed it. I used the acronym. I love acronyms. I called it Mindful Present Guidance. Mm. So I zero it out, and I start over, and I can see I see how long I can get 28 miles per gallon. <laughs> you know, that is a really, really helpful tool for me. I slow down. That's the point. I slow down. Well, those are the two examples that came to mind. I mean, I have lots more. I, uh, <laughs> I have lots more. I mean, yeah. the point is I have these all day long. I have yeah. examples of how to use these tools all day long. Now, you're on the spot. What about you? Well, I was traveling this week. And actually, I think the whole process, just if I think about it for a moment, illustrates how I'm mindful about what I do, how I consider not just sort of what I want in the moment sometimes. I had been suggested by one of my colleagues at work to attend an afternoon meeting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. Okay, so that's about an hour and a half plane flight and and all of the other things that go with traveling, getting to the airport ahead, going through security, waiting to get on the plane, waiting to get off the plane, traveling once I get to where I'm going, actually attending the meeting. And then doing all that in reverse. When this sort of thing comes up, it feels like, oh man, I don't know where I got this expression from, but a long hike for a short slide, mm. which I think those of us who grew up in the in the north with winters where there were actually snow and hills we could sled on may relate to more closely than maybe somebody in another part of the, the country or the world. You know, it was a topic that, that was related to stuff I've been working on for a long time and wanted to sort of see where other people that had been working on the same sort of thing were were, uh, were thinking and, and where they were going. So I said, okay. So then comes the question of travel, making plane reservations. Do I stay overnight, et cetera, et cetera. To put just a little more complication on it, I have cousins who live in the Washington, D.C. area that I have not seen in actually quite a long time, at least a decade, I think. So I thought it would be really nice to be able to see them and, hey, maybe they could put me up for the night and save me a hotel. But this all came up very suddenly, and so I I texted my cousins in the morning. Turns out one of them I had the wrong phone number for. I was texting his old landline from when he used to live in New York City like 20 years ago. So that one didn't go anywhere. And my other cousin works as a teacher and so didn't see my text till the end of the day. And I felt like I had to make a decision about buying tickets before before then, and so... I thought about sort of all of the aspects. Like, I really would like to see my cousins. It would be fun to stay with them. But if I did that, 
Then I'd miss at least half a day of work the day after flying back. And staying overnight has hassles. Having a, as it turned out, 21-hour day from when I got up at 3.30 in the morning Tuesday to when I got back in bed at 12.30. Is that a 22-hour day? No, 21-hour day. 12.30 in the morning, Wednesday morning, Tuesday night. Um, You know, that's a hassle. But having to schlep clothes, having to schlep, I use a, a CPAP machine to help me sleep, and so I have to schlep that with me. That's extra hassle. So how do I balance this out, right? want to see my cousins, don't want to have to drag along all the stuff I need to stay overnight, don't want to stay up 21 hours in a row, bop, 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 bop. And, and the program let me sort of balance those things out and say what's most important and, and what is what is the best way of taking care of myself. And not only of myself, but for example, of my you know, relationship with my wife, who's unhappy when I'm, when I'm gone, um, and my dog, although you know that's of less importance, he still is unhappy when I'm gone. And my desire to see my cousins and, you know, it's kind of fun to stay overnight in a different city and have more time to do whatever. I don't know what, um, probably stay in the hotel room and read a book. So anyway, and so I said, no, I think I just want to do the the business trip and I'll try to arrange the travel so that if I'm able to get together with my cousins for dinner, I can do that. And otherwise, um, I'm doing what I need to do for work and I'm not sort of gratuitously adding on um, extra stuff to it. And maybe that doesn't sound like program tools, but it felt like it to me. And then I could let go. I could let go of, of all the uncertainty because that's, that's something that sort of eats at me sometimes. I could let go of the fact that, well, I might not get to see my cousins because we might not have time um, and just say, this is what it is. And I'm going to do what I can within these boundaries. And as it happened, my cousins were like, yeah, hey, we could come down into the city and, and have dinner with you and we'll pick a place and and see you Tuesday. And so we did. And I had a great visit with them. Uh, the meeting was good. And my colleague who went with me and I had both coincidentally chosen the same early morning flight to get there. So we flew together. I mean, not together, together. We were in different seats, whatever. Um, and... Then went and got breakfast at a nice restaurant when we got there and had several hours before our meeting started. So we took a walk, uh, went went down to the mall, walked past the Washington Monument and uh, spent an hour in an art museum before we then took the metro up to, to where the meeting was. It was cold that day in Washington. I think it was colder in Washington than it was in Detroit, which was surprising to me. I had not, for some reason looked at the weather forecast. I usually do. And so I wasn't quite dressed for it. It was about 50 degrees and and sort of drizzling. But, you know, that's a little bit of discomfort, not not horribly so. And being there, walking, walking, you know, we walked past the White House and the Washington Monument, and, and my friend stopped to take a selfie of himself with the White House and another one with the Capitol building. And it was just, it was a good morning. And, and by letting go of any goals for the morning, just saying, we got some time, let's do what we can with it. Didn't get into the first museum that I had aimed us at because it was a huge long line. We went to a different one that had no line and had some really cool exhibits that we got to see. And it turns out one of them was directly related to what my colleague had done in grad school, which I never knew. By letting go of specific goals and, and just sort of 
going with what was there, which is to me is something that I have totally learned in this program. Before, before Al-Anon, I would try to over-program everything. Like, oh, I need to do this and this and this and this and this. And then set up expectations that it was impossible to meet. And then I would be disappointed and resentful when I didn't meet them. And for this trip, that just didn't happen. So that was, that was one. One that you pointed me at was uh, actually preparing for the, uh, the previous episode to this one, episode 200, where I did an interview with somebody that I had never met. Well, if you listen to episode 200, you know what it's about. Uh, it was a songwriter who had written a song about growing up in alcoholism. And, and when that idea was floated to me, I was like, that would be really cool. And oh my God, that's really a scary thing because I haven't done this before. And as I, as I talked about last week, I spent a fair amount of time preparing I listen to podcasts about podcasting and sometimes they talk about like how to do a good interview. So it's like, know something about your interviewee so you can introduce them and, and don't ask the first question as, so tell us a little bit about yourself because like you should know already and that sort of thing. And so I did that preparation. I tried to figure out how to, how I wanted to structure the conversation so that I could get started because for me, getting started is the hardest part. When I did the interview, we actually talked for, I think 10 or 15 minutes before I actually started it. So we could just sort of get a little bit comfortable with each other. I didn't have to dive right in. I could take that time. And and again, it's something that I really feel for me comes from this program of being able to relax. And then after I had done the preparation, before I started the interview, before we you know got it set up, I had to just sort of let go of what the outcome was going to be. I had to say to myself, this is going to be what it's going to be. And if I can relax, it's going to be better than if I'm tense about it. And that that practice of letting go from from Al-Anon, I think, really helped. I felt it went really well. And I felt like I wasn't stressed about it at all once we got started. And that's programmed for me. So a couple of examples of, of practicing the principles in my affairs by the big one for me is letting go about not holding unrealistic expectations sort of going where the thing goes. Sure. I was just thinking as you were speaking, someone a long time ago said, you know, who's very frustrated with the program and it clearly wasn't clicking for him. Uh, he said, you know, when does this stuff become second nature? Huh. And uh, I thought about that, you know, and my response was, well, for me, it's kind of third nature right now. I don't know if there's such a thing, but it's, it's not automatic. I have to actually practice the tool of slowing down, easy does it, think, you know, pausing, take a breath before reacting, you know, practice responding, and that may be no response. So I called it third nature. And now with this particular episode, this topic, I'm looking now at how I really do believe it has become second nature for me. I just didn't notice it's been so gradual. So some of the things I wrote when I was preparing this for my Saturday morning meeting, I'll share with you here. I wrote my thoughts on practicing in all my affairs. I said, I carry a toolbox full of Al-Anon slogans and sayings and a spiritual canteen of positive past results experienced for times when I need refreshment or reminders of these results in life. Not in, uh, not in the rooms. There was a reading a long time ago that said, you know, we draw on our past positive experiences by the results we get from using these tools. 
And over time, they become second nature. So my tools are kept lubricated, I wrote, by prayer and meditation. Calls to my sponsor and fellow members. Reading, listening on phone meetings, participating in the program in various ways through service. Attending meetings, carrying the message to others by example and attraction. Doing this this podcast is certainly one of those things that has helped me immensely in making these tools second nature. And and I have to actually think, did I did I just use a tool? And I, sometimes I'm really surprised. Uh, I did. I did. I didn't even realize I was using it. It's becoming second nature to pause, to think, and to pick up a tool. And I... I reference a toolbox. I, you know, I, I build things for a living. I build custom homes. I build apartment buildings. I build stuff. I'm an engineer by training, but a builder by vocation. Mm-hmm. And the reference to a toolbox really helps me. I'm literally carrying a toolbox. I envision it. It's orange. Mm. <laughs> and it's in my hand. I have one somewhere. I, I don't really use tools myself physically. You know, I manage the process, but I don't use a wrench, you know, to hammer in a nail. I picked the right tool for the job. Golf is an example I used. I have in my my golf bag all the tools I need to go play 18 holes or nine holes or however many. It's choosing the right one. You know, I'm not going to get out of a sand trap with a putter. You know, I need to choose, pick, and decide what's the right club to use for this particular purpose. So thinking about that and the expression that, I've used um, in many aspects of my life when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I love that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Why am I trying to hammer this screw in, right? Okay. (laughs) But more seriously, before I came to the program, before I found recovery, for many years, my most common tool in personal relationships was anger. That goes way back for me. When things weren't going my way, I picked up the hammer of anger and tried to apply it. Didn't always work very well. In fact, I would say it didn't usually work very well, and very possibly it didn't ever work very well. I mean, sometimes I managed to bash my way through whatever was happening to where I thought I wanted to be, but I left a lot of damage along the way, you know, broken emotions and, and damaged relationships, just finding new tools, finding the tool of, of letting go, finding the tool of compassion, finding the tool of pause and try to understand gave me, I don't know, a screwdriver and a wrench and whatever. I mean, to carry that analogy, Um, but uh, when that hammer of anger as I say, it might have smashed its way through to to a, a desired place, but it left a lot of damage. And I have better tools now. Yeah, I don't try to you know polish the glass with a jackhammer anymore. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that doesn't work, does it? No. Um, so yeah. So you know, I, I really kind of looked everywhere in our program for use of the uh, tools. And a lot of them, you know, in life, or many of them in life, came from the concepts and traditions. Literally, if I could pick any given day, I could probably find a use of one of the concepts or traditions in dealing with people in life and business in particular. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the examples that came up was my business partner and I were speaking about a project, and I said I'd done this, I checked on that, and 
And he uh, had also done that and checked on it with the same person. Mm. And he got very frustrated. And he said, look, why don't you just stay out of it? I was doing that. And that's double-headed management. We were both trying to do something without consulting to each other about whose job it really was. So we worked through it. And I said, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't we talk about it? And we decided, let's put it better that way, Mm -hmm. that he would do this and I wouldn't. And he would follow it so that we avoided service responsibilities balanced by carefully defined service authority and double-headed management is avoided. That's concept 11. It works and it worked for me. I just second nature. I didn't know I was using it at that time and it worked. Another from the traditions is, you know, attraction rather than promotion. And I don't know if that one was, Oh, participation is the key to harmony. I was in a job interview years ago. And they're going even further back, you know, two years ago. And it was a a very serious job. I mean, it, it was running projects for this hedge fund. To They have their offices right locally here in Connecticut. They need someone to manage the process of expanding their offices. This is not small. This is 100,000 square feet of office interiors that they wanted to renovate or move people around and shuffle. And after... I don't know, six interviews, some of them with four or five people in a room being recorded with cameras. And and the guy said, you know, how do you feel about working with a group? I mean, do you, do you dictate or do you take advice or do you, how do you manage? And I said, well, I listen to what people have to say because participation is the key to harmony. Hmm. (laughs) It just, it just came out. (laughs) You know, I'm like, wow, it's becoming second nature. And that is one of the concepts of service. I don't. It's three or four. I don't remember exactly which one. I found. I find your list. It's it's concept four. There you go. Yeah, I'll give you another really cool example of this. And it was about a year ago with my mom. She's had uh, Parkinson's for a very long time, but it's not progressed to the point where that has been what has uh, kind of disabled her as much as it's just age. You know, she's eighty nine and. Um, her birthday's in July, but it was probably, let's see, a year ago, maybe February, let's call it. And uh, I called her one day, and she's got some dementia mm-hmm. and losing her memory, as you could expect. And um, mm-hmm. and she was very upset. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, nobody called me. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, nobody called me for my birthday. No one sent me a card. No one even came over to say hello. Mm-hmm. Now, Mind you, it's February. Right. Her birthday's July. Yeah. I started by saying, Mom, m- Mom, it's, it's, it's February. Your birthday's in July. She said, and no one came over this whole week. No one was here. Not a card, not a phone call. And she started crying. Mm. And I just stopped and I thought. And after she calmed down, I said, Mom, happy birthday. How important is it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. My parents are heading down that road, at least one of them, it seems like. So I've been listening to actually some podcasts about, there's one called Raising Rents, which which has apostrophe before the rents, so it's about how to raise your parents when they get older oh, cool. and, need, and need you as a parent. One of them was making that exact point, that when you're dealing with somebody with dementia, that the 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 happiest way forward for both of you is to be in their world, not to try to bring them back into your world. Right. Just go go with it. 
Go with Easy it. Easy does it. Uh-huh. And go with it. Which is is hard, but it's yeah. it gets it gets easier with practice and just again the tools that I've learned here, the tools of dealing with you know, the tools of dealing with an active drinker who sometimes acts very much like somebody with dementia in terms of memory. When when is it important to correct them? Right. Almost never. Exactly. <laughs> that's the exactly. hard that's the hard answer there. Almost never. Right. <laughs> right. Oh my God. I found this only in one place and it was handed out at a convention that was um, several months ago and it's called the Al-Anon Tools Neutral Responses. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I keep them printed and next to every phone and, you know, and in my wallet. Send me a copy. I'll stick them in the show notes. Whew, oh my God. It, they are so handy. They're one of the best little tools in my toolkit. And they go, well, I'll read the beginning of it. I didn't plan on doing this, but it sounds like it's a good spot. It says, I've learned in the rooms of Al-Anon, using neutral response is a great way to detach from sticky situations. While my first inclination may not be polite, kind, honest, or useful, I draw on these phrases. The more I keep my mouth shut, the more trouble and drama I'm able to avoid. When silence isn't possible, I try to use neutral responses to avoid getting drawn into an argument someone else's business, or something I'm not ready to respond to in depth. Here's a handy list. And there's lots, but I've highlighted my favorites. These are neutral responses. They they protect me from getting drawn in, picking up the rope, taking the bait. That's interesting. Let me think about that. Wow. (laughs) Really? You don't say. You could be right. I never thought of it that way. I hear you. Sounds like you've got it under control. That could be. Maybe so. And my personal favorite, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. I love it. So so good, so good. (laughs) So I also uh, wrote here, you know, saying no has become, you know, easier and easier with use of these tools. And I know for a lot of us it's really, really hard because we want to people please we don't want to get into an argument. We don't want to cause an argument. We want to just put oil on, on the sea and calm it down. Whereas in the past, uh, we might have, you know, fought fire with fire and just makes a bigger fire. You know, trying to put out a fire with napalm usually just makes a bigger fire. So saying no, you know, saying no has been hard, especially with teens where the constant response is why. Why? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to just say because... I said so because, you know, no is a full sentence. None of that usually works with a 14-year-old who wants something. Mm -hmm. They don't understand the word no. They want a reason. They want a reason now. And I read it somewhere and share, I think it was on a blog, and it's now become my favorite reason and response to the inevitable why. And it's because I don't want to. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) How liberating. So I wrote that, you know, when I do use the principles, I'm better equipped to pause before I react. You know, in the past, reacting to my alcoholic or most any stressful confrontational situation usually uh, resulted in my regret or resentment or embarrassment or worse. When reacting rather than thoughtfully responding or choosing not to by use of neutral responses, I don't have to unring the bell. You know, I don't have to try to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once it's said, I can't unsay it. 
And the result I wrote is I'm more serene, I'm more compassionate, I'm calm, in control of myself, my emotions, my temperature, and I can exercise patience, self-care, ease, and grace. And I used to, a long time ago, think of my emotional status as, you know, when I came in, it was an EKG. You know, it was, it was uh, you've seen the needle on an earthquake. You know, that's the way my emotions were all day long, just constantly on edge, constantly in fear, you know, on the verge of panic, worry. And when I use the tools, and I'm finding this more and more, that I am serene. I can, can stay calm and in control of my emotions. Yeah. Uh, I can exercise self-care. My amplitude, I said, of my emotional EKG has lower highs and higher lows. And my internal wavelength expands, the distance between the feelings of high and low. And there's a great phrase, I'm sure it's, for, I think it's from a poet, which is in our books. And it says, uh, I no longer fear the storms for I've, um, calm the seas and I've learned to sail my ship mm-hmm. yeah, or some, something along those lines. Yeah. So when you were talking about neutral responses, I, I remembered uh, an incident that I believe I'm sure I've recounted um, on the podcast, but I was telling my cousins because one of them asked, uh, you know, they asked about my kids, right? And we asked about each other's kids and, and I said, yeah. And there's this, there's this funny story about when my, my kid, uh, how my kid ended up in Colorado. It was the story about getting the phone call from this child saying, Hey, like I'm going to drop out of grad school and go sleep on my friend's couch in Colorado and find a job. Excellent idea. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So inside my head was like, what the, Ah!" (laughs) okay. (laughs) What came out of my mouth was tell me more. Beautiful. And my cousin looked at me and said, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, who said that? I said, tell me more. Yeah. And my response was 10 years of Al-Anon. There you go. That's where that came from. That came from 10 years of Al-Anon, 15 years now. But what that response did was it gave space for my child to elaborate on their plan and to find out that there actually was more of a plan there than I'm going to throw away everything and, and go sleep on my friend's couch. Uh, and it kept peace between us. And my emotional EKG didn't have to ratchet up as high as it would have if I had actually reacted verbally to that first statement. And part of it is is knowing this kid and knowing how they talk about things and how they the first thing out of their mouth is not necessarily the whole story ever. And that's probably true for most people, but in particular this one. Yeah, that, that was absolutely using the principles in, in something other than, you know, the alcoholic situation for sure. I've got a share uh, from uh, a listener, Emily Spencer. My first six months in Al-Anon were easily spent trying to use the tools to cope with the chaotic alcoholic in my life. But I quickly came to see how the tools that we learn in the program extend far past the alcoholics in our lives. I started using the program heavily at my then job, which was a very chaotic place full of very chaotic people. I discovered that I did not have to prevent a crisis, that I didn't have to intervene in things that were not my business, and that I didn't have to take on things that I wasn't asked to do. 
the stress alleviation was immediate. When I stopped trying to control everything in my office, suddenly the load lightened off my shoulders. I have since changed jobs to a more fulfilling opportunity, but I can still use my Al-Anon tools with my coworkers and management. I use Al-Anon every single day when people speak to me, and a little voice pops in my head that says, You should insert your opinion here. You know what is best for them. No, I don't. I can stop, use one of the slogans, and know that I don't know what is best for anyone, and let my and their higher power take the lead. I could go on about how I use the Al-Anon tools in my daily life, but I will end with this. The Al-Anon program has shown me that it is possible to live a life that is not ruled by fear and chaos. And while I am not always successful at it, I strive for it every day. And when I do struggle, I know where to find the tools that I need to succeed. Thank you once again for this amazing resource that you produce. It helps me on my road to recovery, and I'm grateful for it and you, Emily. Yeah, she says it pretty well, doesn't she? Yeah, really well. You know, I was um, reminded of something just now that somehow ties into this. And I don't know where it's from. I think it was from a movie. But there was a, a scene in a movie or a book or something about a lawyer. I think it was a lawyer who has a client come in with this dire situation. And he said, you know, I'm really, this is going to ruin me. I mean, it's going to put me out of business. Uh, my life is going to be in total chaos and disarray. You know, can you help me? He said, the lawyer said, sure, I can help you. He said, oh, my God, thank God. He said, but my fee is going to be $100,000. $100,000. Yep, that's my fee. He said, well, look, if it saves me from this total Armageddon, then okay, I agree. The lawyer picked up the phone, called the other party, spoke to him for about three minutes, hung up the phone, and said, I resolved it. Say what? So yeah, I resolved it. You're, you're off the hook. Said, oh my God. I mean, well, wait a second. A hundred thousand dollars? I'm going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars for that five minutes worth of work? He said, no. You're going to pay me a hundred thousand dollars for the 40 years of experience that it took me to settle that in five minutes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. that, that well of experience is something that I got to remember, you know, I am putting, you know, positive uh, coins in that bucket every day. And I do have the ability to use these tools. And the more I practice them, the more I cultivate them, the more they are becoming second nature. I just didn't realize it until this week when I started thinking, how am I going to put together a share on in all my affairs? <laughs> well, you know what? I, I've got them all day long. I just needed to notice. Yeah. It's amazing. So we could we could probably go on with lots more examples, but yeah, sure we've been talking for a while. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> I've been sort of thinking over the examples that I shared and thinking what are the the tools or the groups of tools that, that I use most often that have been most important to me. And what I realized is that a lot of the places in which I use the tools are places in which I want to exert control over other people, over what they do, over what they say, over what they think, over what they feel. And that the tools of the program that have been most important for me in alleviating that desire to control 
are the ones about letting go, about the how important is it, which is a different kind of letting go, detachment. Those, those tools are the ones that are really, that I practice most in my daily affairs, along with one that I think we haven't really talked about, about taking care of ourselves. That is really also very important. And, and so I'm going to ask you, like, when you look over the ways in which you use the tools of the program in your life, what stands out for you? What stands out for me is slowing down. No one's ever asked me that directly, but, you know, it's absolutely been reducing the pace by which I attack life. How about that for a non sequitur? Uh, <laughs> I attack life with a feather now. I mean, I used to get up, you know, out of bed and I was like a fireman. The faster I could get my feet on the floor and out the door, the, the I considered it a win. Seven minutes or less, I considered a win. I now spend at least an hour, often more, in self-care. And by that, I mean meditation. It's become a huge part of my practice. It's the lubricant. You know, med- meditation is a muscle. We did an entire episode on this. I think it's still to this day, you know, the step that can be done out of order, as they say. Mm-hmm. You can start that one on day one. I, I wish people would mention that more often in meetings, particularly with newcomers, because it's really been transformative for me to slow my heart down. You know, I, I read, I think it was when we did the podcast on meditation, that uh, a turtle, you know, a tortoise, they live to like two or 200 years old or something, mm-hmm. 250 years old. They take about four breaths per minute. Mm. There's some, something to be said for that. You know, I used to pant my way through the day, mm-hmm. just panting all day long. I have a reading here that uh, is actually from the book, In All Our Affairs, and it touches right on taking care of ourselves. In fact, it's called Taking Care of Ourselves, Chapter 7. And it says, the last thing on our minds in the midst of a crisis may be taking extra good care of ourselves, but it may be our best insurance for coping with whatever may occur. It's so easy to skip a meal, gorge on junk food, or to make do with too little sleep. We feel we're too busy to go to the bathroom, much less meditate. We're too busy for a meeting or to take five minutes for ourselves. We can wait forever to be in the mood for physical exercise or to find the inspiration to pray. Alcoholism is a threefold disease, spiritual, emotional, and physical. Not only for the alcoholic, but also for those of us affected by someone else's drinking. When our circumstances lead us to ignore our spiritual, emotional, or physical needs, we invite this progressive disease to take over. If we act as if our needs are unimportant, we subtly teach ourselves that we are unimportant. That's why many of us have found that it is crucial to be diligent about taking care of ourselves, especially during stressful periods. No one else can do this for us. Taking care of ourselves may mean setting realistic goals and manageable schedules. Ten major accomplishments may be easy to achieve in one day. Getting out of bed might reflect our best efforts on another. I'm going to close with with another reading here. This is from the book In All Our Affairs. It's chapter 10, Love and Forgiveness. And thanks, thanks, uh, thanks, Eric, for suggesting this. Elanon is a program of hope. It shows us a way to become students of life on life terms. We start to recognize the opportunities for growth hidden within every situation. We learn that it is possible to find serenity within ourselves, even when surrounded by chaos. As an old Chinese proverb observes, 
If I keep a green bough in my heart, the singing bird will come. So our first our first musical selection here, which is one that, that you suggested, uh, Brandon Heath with Give Me Your Eyes. You want to talk about it for a minute? I went to a program about four years ago, uh, maybe five ago now, that was for you know intended for people that were kind of stuck in whatever, stuck in whatever. It happened to be on the campus of a large recovery treatment facility, uh, and it was generally for loved ones who had others in treatment. <laughs> and it was a five-day, six-day really immersive program and you you use people and props and anything in the space at the end your kind of graduation ceremony was to act out what you fear most mine was pretty obvious to me at that moment you know um i won't go into the details of my uh but uh my situation well Maybe I will. I had one daughter in the corner screaming uh, as I used a person in, in our group of 10 or so to represent her. And she was in the corner screaming, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, help me. And my um, other was spinning in another corner, just spinning. And I had the biggest guy in the room. I, I was This guy was kind of a mammoth of a guy. And I set him in a chair and he just looked like Buddha. And he just sat with a, a, a face of serenity, and he was representing to me serenity. And then I put a woman laying on the floor in front of him, and she represented my alcoholic. And I couldn't get over her to serenity. I couldn't step over her. I was stuck. She was a, a wall. And it was incredibly powerful. Mm. Anyway, everyone had to go through this. And at the end, it was just so cathartic. Everyone was crying. Then they, uh, the instructors, the therapists had us, had chosen a song for each person. And the song that was chosen for me was this song. And it's Give Me Your Eyes. And it says, uh, some of the lyrics say, Look down from a broken sky, traced out by the city lights, my world from a mile high, best seat in the house tonight, touch down on the cold black top, hold on to the sudden stop, breathe in the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. All those people going somewhere. Why have I never cared? It talks about, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted. It's about trusting God. And to me, it represented handing it over, turning it over. Give me your eyes, Mm -hmm. meaning his eyes. Mm -hmm. Give me your compassion. Give me your awareness to see the things I've been missing. Anyway, it really uh, was powerful for me. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this weekend. Wow, I kind of feel like we've already touched on a lot of that. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, wrap it. <laughs> um, I just I'll touch on a couple of things okay. here. Um, so I think it was two weeks ago in a meeting. Is that right? Yeah, it's two weeks ago in a in a meeting. Uh, after the meeting, some of us were talking, and one of the newer members of the group asked about working the steps in what we call an AWOL group, which is, stands for A Way of Living or A Way of Life. And it's a, a small group 
in the way we work it for for the steps, it's a small group who commit to get together on a regular basis to learn about the steps. And and the way I've done it is actually um, working the steps, uh, typically from the book Paths to Recovery, which has a really nice set of questions for each step to help us work through them. And this person was interested in starting a new group, and and I I said yeah I really encourage that uh, that would that's I've worked the steps twice in in a group and it's been really helpful to me. And she said, would you be willing to help us uh, form such a group? <laughs> like oh damn, I opened my mouth there, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> open mouth, step forward to volunteer. And you know, so when the program says. Please, you say yes, and and I said yes, I would. Uh, if 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 you maybe can help find a group of people who want to do this, then I would be happy to work with y'all. And so then I heard later from a friend that indeed um, this person had gone to another larger meeting and stood up and said, um, "I want to form an AWOL group. Would would anybody who's interested please come talk to me?" And so I felt like, well, this is getting real. And so the next Sunday meeting, I talked with with the person briefly, and you know we're we're, we're moving forward, and it looks like it it will probably happen. And thinking about it, it's been oh at least five years since since I really formally worked the steps. It's probably time to do that again. So it was uh, my higher power speaking up and saying, "Here's the thing. Why don't you think about doing this thing?" And me saying, "Yeah, you're right." Thursday, my home group, I mentioned the topic was hope, but I again co-opted the meeting for use of uh, myself and did uh, in all my affairs a share on that, Uh, (laughs) but it tied into hope, obviously. Um, Saturday, yesterday morning was a meeting where I did the topic in all our affairs and uh, some really great feedback and shares and um, just, I mean, really was... uh, huge to get me um, some other thoughts on the subject from other members. And there were a lot. There were a lot, as you can imagine. We uh, we finished with a lot of raised hands, put it that way. So we ran out of time. Um, but that's a good thing. People were thinking. And then last night was my fourth year men's anniversary meeting, and that was huge. It was really, really great. Probably 50 people, uh, lots of food, lots of fellowship, and some incredible speakers, including um, an 18-year-old girl that had only been in Alateen for about two months, and this Mm. was the first time she'd ever spoken in public. She was there with her Alateen sponsor, who uh, spoke first, which I love having um, Alateen sponsors, if we can, at at anniversary meetings. To try to, you know, find their experience, strength, and hope, and hopefully attract other people to volunteer for such an incredibly important position as being an Alateen sponsor. And then the Alateen spoke briefly, but beautifully and eloquently. And uh, now I'm here with you. So speaking of Alateen, man, I still have not sent emails to the people that I want to have come talk about Alateen. Got to do that. That is an upcoming topic. I will do it. And another one that I'm getting some shares on from y'all, and thank you for for sending them, is this concept of being the sober parent. How how do we support our children in a relationship where our spouse is still active in their alcoholism or addiction, and how do we best support them? 
And the the flip side of that, I've been getting some great shares from people about um, being in Adult Children of Alcoholics uh, program and uh, what that program has done for them. So we got some those topics upcoming. Also have a, a couple of really great open talks that I've listened to recently that I would like to share. One of those day, weeks when I don't have time to create uh, a podcast for you. But we welcome your thoughts. You can join our conversation. Please leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or questions. And Eric, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic in all our affairs, or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like to us to talk about, let us know. And you can get all the information about the show at our website, which is therecovery.show. It includes notes for each episode, an occasional blog, and links to the music and other things we talk about during the episode. Those will all be in the show notes. You can visit our contact page, which is at therecovery.show slash contact for details on how to share your experience, strength, and hope in the podcast by phone, by email, etc. And second song. Uh, also, you picked this one, uh, Eric, Living in the Moment by Jason Mraz. Uh, yeah, boy, talk about a positive example of recovery. You know, I don't know if Jason Mraz is in program. He certainly sounds like he is. This song is just full of hope and happiness. And it says, if this life is one act, why do we lay all these traps? We put them right in our path when we just want to be free. I will not waste my days making up all kinds of ways to worry about all the things that will not happen to me. Living in the moment, living my life easy and breezy. With peace in my mind, with peace in my heart, peace in my soul. Wherever I'm going, I'm already home, living in the moment. Those lyrics, I will not waste my days making up all kinds of ways to worry about all the things that will not happen to me. Yeah. That's, wow. Like, that was my yeah. life. That was yeah. my life. Okay. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, except that I was wasting my days making up all kinds of ways to worry about all the things that would not happen. So Rocking back and forth and going nowhere. Yeah. Got some listener feedback this week. Amber said, Spencer, I have found so much healing with your shows. I found you just when I needed you. Thank you, truly. And thank you, Amber. We got a voicemail from Carrie. Hi, Spencer and everybody. Um, this is Carrie from Texas. I just wanted to call and say, actually, I don't know what it is. Is it, would it be your birthday? But that was such a great episode. I listened to it twice. The 199th episode. Isn't that amazing? And so here comes your 200th episode. Yeah, so what do you say to somebody? Because <laughs> a happy birthday. Definitely congratulations. And for sure, thank you so much. And I also realized that I owe you $400 because <laughs> when I go to an L on meeting, I usually give $2, and I have listened to every single episode since I found the podcast um, at least once, some of them more than once. 
Yeah, I just really want to acknowledge that and and thank you. I wish that somehow we could all circle up around you and express our gratitude because I know that I'm not the only one. There are times when I cannot get to a meeting and I listen, you know, like so in place of a meeting. There are times where um, I'm you know, just, I want, you know, more Al-Anon and I listen while I'm walking or cleaning or doing laundry or something. And I re- have recommended it to so many people. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Carrie, uh, for that. Uh, and no, you, you don't owe me all that money because you have contributed so much to the podcast yourself. But uh, thanks for the thought. Uh, can you read the uh, the email from Barbara? Yes. Barbara writes about episode 112, Do You Drink? The recovery.show slash 112. Thank you so much for sharing on this topic. It is something which hasn't been discussed at any meetings that I attend, and I've hardly brought it up even with my sponsor. I am that conflicted. Right now, I'm not drinking. I've also tried having a drink to be sociable and somehow think I will limit my loved one that way. Still working on it, Barbara. Thanks, Barbara. That that was a hard episode for me to do, but it's such it felt like such an important topic yeah. because it is not something that, as you say, is talked about in our meetings. I have, I have never really heard it talked about in a meeting, as, as certainly as a topic. Right. Um, and usually when people talk about drinking in a meeting, they talk about not drinking. And I was actually, I was talking with friends recently, and I heard one of them say, what, or Al-Anons are not all teetotalers? <laughs> like, yeah, we're not, okay? <laughs> um, we were actually standing there with beers in our hand at the time. So it was pretty obvious. Thanks thanks for the encouragement, Barbara. I really, I really appreciate it. Got a comment left um, on episode 196 about resentment, the one that we did recently. Mm-hmm. person named Sujata from India left this comment. Said, hi, Spencer. I have just started listening to your podcasts and I'm trying to make sense of alcoholism. In addition, my daughter has BPD, which makes my own character defects magnified. Do pray for me. I would like to help you continue this show. Lots of gratitude to God for helping me find this show. Still in despair, but we'll try not to control. And keep coming back, Sujara. <laughs> keep coming back. Because it does get it does get easier. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Amber, Lucy, and Marianne did. And thank you again, Amber, Lucy, and Marianne, for your contributions. Our last song selection, and I chose this one, is You're Not Alone by Mavis Staples. And again, you can listen to this at therecovery.show slash 201. The video that I found of this, uh, she's singing and Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, right? Yeah. Jeff Tweedy is playing acoustic guitar. This song actually was suggested several years ago by Barbara. And apparently we never played it. So here we are. One of the principles of this program and one that has been really important for me is that we don't have to do it alone. Because when I tried to do it alone, I got nowhere. And... I can remember that not doing it alone is true for really everything in my life, that I don't have to do almost anything in my life alone. A little bit of lyrics here. You're not alone. I'm with you. I'm lonely too. 
what's that song can't be sung by two? And of course, there she is singing it with, with Jeff Tweedy. I'm not sure he's actually singing, but she's not alone when she's singing it. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.